0: thank you Mike and uh, thank you everyone for your welcome. You probably didn't expect to be seeing me this morning but uh, it's lovely to be here. Not the circumstances perhaps we would have chosen but it is lovely to be here. I'm going to get into trouble for saying this but a lot of old friends <laughs> who uh, I'm enjoying catching up with and some new friends as well to meet so, so that's lovely. Um, do excuse me, because of the short nature, you may notice, the more technically minded amongst you, that my quotes are from NIV rather than ESV. I do apologise for that, but I looked whilst the reading was on and it, th- th- there isn't a lot of problem there, but uh, you'll appreciate I didn't have chance to change that uh, before I came. So let's turn to this chapter of 1 Corinthians, but... Uh, just to say, to start with, people who know me know of my passion for rugby league and the traditions of that game. It was mentioned that I'm chaplain to a professional club, um, and that's part of my role with the church. But I am passionate about the sport and its traditions, and I've never liked all these new silly names that rugby league clubs got given, like bulls and rhinos and lions and. And the one that really annoyed me was Wakefield, who took on the name Wildcats. If you know Wakefield, Wildcats, it's hard to put those two in the same sentence, isn't it? So I was really delighted uh, a number of years ago, a couple of years ago, when Wakefield dropped the name Wildcats and went back to their traditional name of Wakefield Trinity. And I was delighted they put that name back. And it's, it's caused a lot of interest because a lot of people there have had to rediscover what Trinity is about and the heritage of it. And I think in many ways, the same thing needs to be <coughs> happening in a lot of churches. Not in terms of name, that's that's not the issue. But of bringing back the importance of the Trinity, the whole triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, all three. It seems to me that often anyone listening in to our prayers and our discussions will hear a lot about the Father. They will hear the Son mentioned a great deal, honoured And yet very little serious mention, reference, consideration of the Holy Spirit. We seldom think of him. We seldom think of him as a person, a real personality, just as the Father and the Son are. The Spirit is not simply some force, not simply some power. Not simply some eat, but he is a real divine personality whose supreme role is to make real to us the things of God. He acts with amazing humility and doesn't attract attention to himself, but always <coughs> points us, as we shall see in this chapter, to Jesus as our saviour. And I think I understand why there's been a reluctance to speak and think about the spirit. I suspect the reason is that we have reacted to the excesses of some Pentecostals, some charismatics who've overplayed the importance, the presence, the supernatural phenomena associated with the spirit. And so we've reacted by avoiding all mention of him. By shutting him out. We have, I fear, to use the old expression, thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And we now risk, like these Corinthians who Paul is writing to, becoming unbalanced in our view and our reliance on the whole Godhead. And like them, we may have weakened ourselves in the process. So as Paul goes about the business here of sorting out the divisions amongst those who make their support for a particular favourite, leader, preacher, whatever, they make that their main concern at the expense of unity in the church, he confronts them on two issues that maybe we need to challenge ourselves on. Namely, how do we understand and value preaching? And secondly, what is the importance of the Holy Spirit, both in delivering and hearing preaching? So the first question I want us to consider is, how do we evaluate preaching? Too often... Preaching and preachers are judged as though they were entertainers or lecturers. The message is rated not in its own right, but by judging the preacher. So we can be impressed by their authority, their confidence, their eloquence. If they make us laugh, if they make us feel good, if they say what we agree with, then we put a big tick and we rate them highly, irrespective of what they've actually said. But if they're hard work to listen to, if they're poor speakers, or if they challenge our preconceptions, then we criticise and we give less than wholehearted interest and worth to that message. It's amazing. Crystal confirm, Michael confirm. It's amazing how much you can tell by the body language of a congregation how they are judging the performance of the preacher. It's amazing. And you see, this was very much how the Corinthians dealt with the matter. They were in an era before all the media, before internet, social media, all that sort of thing. They were used to public meetings and public speakers. And they were used to public speakers and leaders who won over their followers by the power of their oratory and their personality. So they had those who they followed and promoted, and they had those of whom they were critical and dismissive. But Paul approaches the matter of preaching from a totally different direction. He flags up four things that preaching that is to be valued is not. So let's start with those. Four things he says that preaching that you want to value is not. The first thing, verse 1, it is not human wisdom. Preaching, verse 1, not human wisdom. Verse 4, It's not about wise and persuasive words. Verse 6, it's not about the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. So, preaching isn't good simply because it meets what the world outside wants it to be. And verse 13, it is not taught by human wisdom. And that means it's very different from any other sort of teaching. I was for 33 years a school teacher. And my my default mode is teaching. You know, I could very quickly start delivering a maths lesson now without... (laughs) Lock the door before before people go. (laughs) That's my default. And I have to work hard when I stand up to preach God's word to make sure that I'm not simply relying on what I did as a school teacher. It is not the same thing as we're going to see. It's something that is proclaimed, he says in verse 3 in weakness, with fear, and with trembling. Now, doesn't that seem extraordinary? That flags up that it's not human wisdom. If somebody's standing up to give a lecture, you would say to them, be confident, sock it to them. Rely on all that you know. And when we stand up to preach, there is weakness, there is fear, and there is trembling. And those have to be there in some form or other. That's the negative side. But he mentions two things that it must include. And you would think these are obvious. Verse one, it must include testimony about God. He said, Well, that's obvious. Surely nobody would stand up in a church pulpit. I'm not talk about testimony about God. In my teaching career, we celebrated 325 years after the foundation of the school that I taught in, at a very old foundation. And we had a Founders Day service in the parish church, and the Archbishop of York came to address the gathering. So you've got this gathering, all the students of the school, their teachers, parents, all the officials of the town, massive occasion. You think, what an opportunity to preach the gospel. The archbishop stood up and he announced, my text for today is taken from Alice in Wonderland. Can you believe it? An opportunity to proclaim the word of God and yet it was very entertaining. The students listened to him very well. There was nothing wrong in what he said. It was full of nice things like be kind to your grandmother and help old ladies across the street and, and don't steal. Good things. But nowhere was there testimony about God. There must be, Paul says, testimony about God. And verse 2 It must talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that will be true wherever we are preaching from. It will be as true preaching from Old Testament as New Testament. That's what it's about. Jesus said in that great Bible study on the Emmaus Road that all the scripture is about him. So we must have Jesus Christ and him crucified And yes, by implication, crucifixion, resurrection, of course. Yeah, we don't stop simply at the tomb. They are essential elements. Now, it's not to say that they can't include other things. Of course, there can be history, there can be anecdote. There is a place for humour. There is a place for other sources. There's a place for moral application, I think there's even a place for opinion and speculation. And it's not an excuse for saying that a preacher should not work hard at making his preaching as understandable, as attractive, as accessible as possible. Of course as preachers we must do that. And of course we want preaching to be like that. But if it ain't got testimony about God... If it hasn't got Jesus Christ and Him crucified, you might as well stand up and read Harry Potter because it will do the people as much good and it will entertain them more, probably. Do you see what Paul is saying about preaching to these people? The second thing I want us to see from this is God's wisdom. God's wisdom. The whole emphasis in what he says to these people is to move away from human thinking and ideas and start to rely on the wisdom of God. You see, Paul isn't arguing that preaching should be without wisdom. But he is putting the case that it must be about God's wisdom and not simply human wisdom. And that will mean certain things, it will mean that it has an unchanging nature. Political views change, social views change, educational views change. God's wisdom does not change. And therefore it will find itself in opposition to the current thinking of any age. I read this morning that the BBC has produced some materials for use in schools that tells children there are 92 clubs in the football league and there are 100 different genders. Does anybody Can anybody list 100 different genders? What nonsense. What does God's word say? He made them male and female. God's unchanging truth. Backed up incidentally by science. Science knows nothing of 98 other genders. Science only knows male and female. But do you see how God's wisdom is very different from the wisdom of the age? God's wisdom in regard to sexual ethics always puts itself at odds with the wisdom of the age. And we have to proclaim what God says. Not to be provocative, not to look like dinosaurs, but to say this is God's truth. This is the creator's truth. This is what is best for humanity. Our maker knows what is best for us. And we have to proclaim that. And not simply fall in... With what the world says. And if that makes us unpopular. We have to live with that unpopularity. You see. It's a mystery to human minds. But it's what God destined for our glory. He says verse 7. Before time began. And it means that even the cleverest. And most important people. May have no understanding. Of what this message of God is. They'll seek to contradict it. They'll seek to deny it. As Paul says, if clever, important, religious people and their leaders could have understood it, they would not have rejected and crucified Jesus, would they? So don't be surprised. Don't be intimidated. Because some Oxford professor mocks the idea of Christianity. He cannot understand it. He might be an expert on quantum mechanics. He might know all there is to know about linguistics. But he does not know the mind of God. And don't be intimidated by it. What did Paul write to the Romans? Chapter 3, verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. The world doesn't like that message. The world likes to think how wonderful humanity is. And that's the truth of God's word. And the Corinthians, as a people just like us, prided themselves on their knowledge on their learning, on their wisdom, on their intellectual progress as a society. Look how far we've come. And Paul says you cannot bring these things into the church or into your relationship with God or into your relationship with each other. You cannot apply that thinking to the preached message of God. Because when you do... You end up with factions, you end up with division, and you end up with a church that is indistinguishable from the world. It's not something that can be naturally seen or heard or worked out. That's what he's saying in verse 8. In other words, neither our senses nor our intelligence or our emotions can come up with the truth that is the gospel. What human would ever propose a scheme of salvation where human beings are powerless and where God chooses to take on human form, where God chooses to take on the sins of those who will trust him, where God chooses to die as a common criminal on a cross to take away the guilt and punishment of those who hate him. No human mind would ever invent that, would they? A human mind would say the B and Q method, do it yourself. Be a man, man up I'm not allowed to say that anymore, am I? No. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? You know, take it on, be, do it yourself. Prove how good you are. And God says you can't. And that's his wisdom. So if you can't work it out for yourself, if even the most skilled academics, speakers, preachers can't make you understand it, how can you get to know this truth? Well, Paul has no doubt about the solution. Come with me to verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. It is a spiritual revelation. If you want to know these things, it has to be revealed to you by the Spirit. So let's come to spirit revelation. You've heard me say I'm a mathematician. So numbers fascinate me. I can't help it, and I might get I might get this wrong in your translation here. But in the 16 verses that we've read, there are 11 references to the Holy Spirit. Somebody's going to count up and say, "No, an yes, but there's 12 <laughs> or there's 10." I know I'm, I can live with that. I can live with that. That's human wisdom the Holy Spirit is mentioned 11 times in 16 verses. Now that ratio, mathematical word, take human (laughs) wisdom, cross, um, that ratio should alert us to the fact that something serious is going on here and needs our attention. That is a saturation rate that you would never find in our conversations and discussions. Now, I'm not saying that this is a normal situation. I'm not saying that, you know, you should check that every second sentence you use has Holy Spirit in it. I'm not, I'm not being silly about these things. But what I'm saying is that Paul is doing something special here. He wants to drive his point home, doesn't he? He's hammering a point where the Corinthians are weak and he wants to get it into their thick heads. This isn't about all this clever human wisdom. It's not about speakers in the public domain who can win you over by the cleverness of their speech. This is about the Holy Spirit dealing with you. The Holy Spirit... Is regarding as being God. Not an addition to God. But a fundamental component of God. So that when the spirit acts. He acts with the full power and authority of the Trinity. Just as the Father does. Just as the Son does. That great authority of the triune God. But what? Is the particular role and purpose and aim of the Holy Spirit? His work is one of revealing with great depth and with understanding. Paul says that the deep things inside us are best known by our own spirit. And that's true, isn't it? And I'm thankful that's true. There are things I know about me that if you knew about me, you wouldn't let me stand here this morning. And I suspect I'm not alone in that. There are things deep down inside each of us that we are thankful that nobody else knows, but our spirit knows. We know. And so the Holy Spirit in the same way knows the deep things of God because he is God. He knows all that's there in the Godhead. And that's why he can reveal these things to us. He can reveal them supernaturally as the sovereign God, of course he can. But you know what? His normal way of doing this work, of revealing the deep things of God to us, is by empowering The preaching of God's word, both to the speaker and to the hearer. We know we have been taught by the Spirit when we understand the truths of God's words. Those things that the world and the natural mind just don't get. Maybe in your quiet time and you're reading God's word. And it makes sense to you. Maybe you've read it a hundred times and thought, what on earth is all this about? And then suddenly it makes sense. That is the Holy Spirit at work. That is the Holy Spirit making it real to you, bringing to you that deep understanding of God. Maybe you've sat in a sermon thinking, he is so boring, that man. Will he never shut up? And then suddenly... You understand something. And it's not because the man's clever. He probably is boring. He probably is talking too long. And all those things that you're thinking. But if you find some truth in it. If you understand what it's about. If you see Jesus and him crucified in it. Then that is the Holy Spirit doing business with you. He is engaging with you. He is revealing those truths to you. And Paul says, those without the Spirit just think it all foolishness. They just think it's nonsense. But those who are taught by the Spirit know the truth about. Any man who says, I've got it all worked out, is an arrogant fool. But a man who says the Holy Spirit has taught me this from God's word is a man who God is dealing with is a man who knows Jesus and him crucified. That is testimony about God. And Paul says that those without the Spirit can only make human judgments. And that might well be things like this. Human judgment might well say things like, This preacher's boring. He's too difficult to follow. I don't like what he's saying. He goes on too long. He's not as good as Chris. (laughs) I couldn't have done a better job than he did this morning. That's human judgment. Whereas those with the Spirit can judge all things spiritually so that you look beyond the preacher and the constructs of his words to the God-given message he speaks and that the spirit applies personally to you. And that is why we must pray for preaching, not that it will be finished quickly, not that it will be entertaining, not that it will be easy. Not that it will just agree with my particular hobby horse, but that the Holy Spirit will speak through the preacher and make real the deep things of God for you and for all the hearers. A few moments prayer beforehand and even during preaching is worth far more than judging and criticising afterwards. The outcome of spirit-powered preaching is truly amazing. And it is miraculous. To see Jesus and him crucified. Oh, what a joy. To have true testimony about God. That's the truth I need to hear. And look at what Paul sees as the end of the matter. He asks, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? In other words, do you really think you know better than God himself? Do you think you can teach him about wisdom? No, says Paul. When you have spirit-taught words, you have far more than human wisdom. The very last sentence of this chapter, you have, in fact, The mind of Christ. Wow. Do you ever watch those quiz programs on television? Mm -hmm. Older friends, did you ever listen to Brain of Britain on the radio? And did you sit there thinking, I wish I knew half of what they know? Mm -hmm. Christian friend, you have a greater mind than any of them. You have the mind of Christ. You can think about this world. You can interpret what's happening. Not in terms of biology. Not in terms of philosophy. Not in terms of history. You can use all those things and I'm not knocking them. But ultimately, you have the mind of the soul. The mind of Christ. Who am I? To have the mind of Christ. All the glory. All the purity. All the love. All the compassion. That goes on in the mind of Christ. Is ours. And we access it through the Holy Spirit's work. He brings it to us. Who does not want that? Who does not want the mind of Christ? Let's make sure we approach the preaching of God's word in the right way, with the right attitude, attentive and submissive, so that the Spirit may teach us the deep things of God and that we might come away with the mind of Christ.